All right, in our third and final segment, we would like to note that um, microbes are not something you'd expect to make the cover story of The Economist, but there they are in the current edition. The article is titled, Microbes Maketh Man, and this is something we have talked about on this program before, scooping The Economist just a bit. They'll probably get over it, but uh, they did a fine piece of writing here we'll talk about in a moment. But I first want to take a slight detour back into mental floss, which is quite a far cry from The Economist. For this item, talking about Oktoberfest. Noted mental floss when Bavaria banned smoking at Oktoberfest back in 2010. Beard-chugging patrons thought they'd be able to breathe easier. Unfortunately, they were wrong. Magazine notes that the stinking cloud of cigarette smoke had been providing something of a service by making the even less pleasant... stench of stale spilled beer less noticeable ask the editors so what's a beer tent manager to do when he can't blow the budget on fabrice and incense well harness some bacteria the festival team found an unlikely savior in elbamex a bacterial solution made for rejuvenating soil that also possesses a hidden power gobbling up unpleasant scents By dousing floorboards and other spill zones with the solution, organizers managed to head off the offending odors before they ruined the lederhosen-clad fun. The magazine did also note as an aside that when 6.9 million Oktoberfest visitors drain 7.5 million liters of beer, well, some valuables are bound to get misplaced. In fact, it was the responsibility of the lost and found at Oktoberfest to try and find the owners of... 520 wallets, 370 pairs of glasses, two sets of crutches, one set of dentures, and my personal favorite, one electric wheelchair. Radio Parallax would note as a public service announcement that if you must go to Oktoberfest, please try and keep good control of your dentures and electric wheelchair. But yes, microbes, spray them on the floorboards and let them eat up the uh, spilled beer. Not a bad idea. Let's return to The Economist, starting with their editorial page, from which we would quote the following. Political revolutionaries turn the world upside down. Scientific ones more often turn it inside out. And that, almost literally, is happening to the idea of what, biologically speaking, a human being is. The traditional view is that a human body is a collection of 10 trillion cells, which are themselves the products of 23,000 genes. If the revolutionaries are correct, those numbers radically underestimate the truth. For in the nooks and crannies of every human being, and especially in his or her gut, dwells the microbiome, 100 trillion bacteria of several hundred species, bearing 3 million non-human genes. These biological Robespierres believe they should count too, that humans are not single organisms, but superorganisms made of lots of smaller organisms working together. Noted the magazine, it might sound perverse to claim bacterial cells and genes as part of the human body, but the revolutionary case is a good one. For the bugs are neither parasites nor passengers. They are, rather, fully paid-up members of a community of which the human, quote, host, unquote, is but a single, if dominating, member. 
This view is increasingly popular. The world's leading scientific journals, Nature and Science, have both reviewed it extensively in recent months. Uh, to which we would add, so is Radio Parallax. But there are some surprising stats in the piece. The Economist notes that the microbiome does many jobs in exchange for the raw materials and shelter that its host, that's we humans, provide. One is to feed people more than 10% of their daily calories. These are derived from plant carbohydrates that human enzymes, that's made by our genes, are unable to break down. And it's not just plant carbohydrates. Mother's milk, human mother's milk, contains carbohydrates called glycans, which, oddly enough, human enzymes cannot digest, yet bacterial ones can. How can that be? Go to the magazine. This alone shows how closely host and microbiomes have co-evolved over the years. But digestion is not the only nutritional service provided. The microbiome also makes vitamins B12, B2, and folic acid. It is, moreover, capable of adjusting its output to the host's needs and diet. The microbiomes of babies make more folic acid than do those of adults, because babies need more. In the piece inside the magazine about the human microbiome, it was noted that, uh, to return to that subject of mother's milk, natural selection has stuffed milk full of glycans which, as we just said, are indigestible by any enzyme encoded by our own human genes. This is a nice example of co-evolution at work. It's sort of expected that we human uh, superorganisms will pick up the necessary bacteria along the way that allow us to digest the components in milk. It's a crazy system, but apparently it works. I must say I was unaware of the fact that 10 to 15% of the energy used by an average adult is generated by this method of breakdown by enzymes produced by our bacteria. The magazine notes that one way to think of this microbiome is as an additional human organ, albeit a rather peculiar one. In fact, it does weigh as much as many organs, about a kilogram, more than two pounds, and although it is not a distinct structure in the way that a heart or a liver is distinct, an organ does not have to have form and shape to be real. For example, our immune system consists of cells scattered all through the body, but it has a salient feature of an organ, namely that it is an organized system of cells. The magazine notes that our microbiome too is organized. Biology recognizes about 100 large groups of bacteria known as phyla, each has a different repertoire of biochemical capabilities. Human microbiomes are dominated by just four of these phyla. The actinobacteria, the bacterioides, the firmicutes, and the proteobacteria. Notes the piece, clearly living inside a human being is a specialized existence that is appropriate only to certain types of bugs. As they note, specialized but not monotonous. As we pointed out on this program, just as ecosystems such as forests, grasslands, and coral reefs differ from place to place, so it is with microbiomes. Children in Malawi and rural Venezuela, for instance, contain more riboflavin-producing bugs than do North Americans. They're also better at extracting nutrition from mother's milk because they turn out lots of those enzymes known as glycoside hydrolases, 
which as we talked about, work on those glycans. As we reported on this program uh, some months back, it turns out that uh, there seem to be three different types of these bacterial ecosystems in humans. An analysis of this stuff is going to lead to all kinds of interesting uh, data and, and eventually some treatments. Article notes that Dr. Jeffrey Gordon studied obesity and bacteria back in 2006 at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. He discovered that fat people had more firmicutes and fewer bacteroides than do thin ones. And if dieting made a fat person thin, his bacterial flora changed to match. And, exper and experiments on mice suggest that this is not just a question of the bacteria responding to altered circumstances. They actually assist the process of slimming by suppressing production of a hormone that facilitates the storage of fat and of an enzyme that stops fat from being burned. Notes the magazine, this may help explain an otherwise weird observation from agriculture, which is that adding antibiotics to cattle feed helps fatten beasts up, though cattle treated in this way also put on muscle mass. So as we talked about on last week's program, this uh, editorial piece in the Sacramento News and Review claiming that uh, antibiotics are put in animal feed to treat them, well, they're not treating disease. They're adding antibiotics as a growth factor for reasons that are still imperfectly understood. And by God, we need to understand what's going on in, uh, in the guts of animals, particularly we humans, because, uh, well, it's going to allow us to modify our gut flora, perhaps, bringing us better health and perhaps making it easier to lose weight. And since studies show that certain types of bacteria can decrease absorption of food and thus promote malnutrition, it may be possible to treat a lot of malnutrition by rejigging a sufferer's gut bacteria. At any rate, I know we've only got about four minutes left in the program, but this is so interesting. I think I'm just going to finish out uh, the show with this article because the implications of this are remarkable. In studies at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, they found that by killing off the microbiome of certain mice, which are prone to get atherosclerosis, they did this with antibiotics, well, it significantly reduced the atherosclerosis found in the mice. And there's clearly a link between uh, diet and diabetes, perhaps more profound than we realized. Morbidly obese people who have opted for a procedure known as a Roux-en-Y, which sort of short-circuits the small intestine and thus reduces the amount of food the body can absorb, it's discovered that such people are almost always diabetic before surgery. And as the magazine notes, as a treatment for obesity, Roux-en-Y is effective. As a treatment for diabetes, it is extraordinary. In 80% of cases, the condition vanishes within days. In this case, the diabetes in question is known as type 2, caused by the insensitivity of the body's cells to insulin, which is a hormone that regulates the level of blood sugar. Insulin sensitivity is part of a complex and imperfectly understood web of molecular signals. Researchers suspect, although it cannot yet be proven, that some crucial part of that web is regulated by the microbiome in a way similar to the role played by formic acid in the case of high blood pressure, which, it turns out, rather astonishingly, is inversely related to hypertension. If they check your urine and don't find a lot of formic acid, it may turn out that you have high blood pressure. 
And if you have low blood pressure, it may, it may turn out that your levels in your urine are high. This sort of stuff just opens up all kinds of interesting avenues of investigation. I promise you we will continue to follow these developments as they unfold. But would note in closing, as we have before, that it's a little bit premature to go out there and buy, quote, probiotics, unquote, and think that's going to solve all of our intestinal ills and health problems. It's true there's some promising studies show that if you take probiotics, in other words, a mixture of bacteria found, for example, in yogurt, this may ease symptoms of people that have irritable bowel syndrome. Because not surprisingly, it turns out those people often have slightly abnormal gut microbiomes. On the other hand, studies of human twins show that our microbiomes are unaffected by yogurt when you're normal or close to normal. There's a lot more to us than the, than the offspring of sperm and egg. And that's probably as good a punchline as I can come up with for a complicated topic like this one. But we're going to keep working on it. At any rate, that's our show. My thanks to Yale Wishnick, Will Durst, and of course, our producer, Mr. Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. And by all means, if you get the chance, read that Economist article, Microbes Maketh Man. Be worth your while. All right. You mean bacteria on me right now? Salmonella bacteria. Salmonella bacteria. Salmonella bacteria.